Chapter 10 of Silver Chimes in Syria Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Henrique Silver Chimes in Syria Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences by William S. Nelson Chapter 10 Syrian Enterprises The final aim of mission work is the development of a self-supporting, self-propagating Christian community, and hence the happiest experience of a missionary's life is connected with the first independent undertakings of the people whom he serves. In this connection there are two interesting incidents connected with the life of the evangelical church in Homs. There are men still living who remember when the gates in the old city walls were closed every night at sunset and the belated traveller had to make himself as safe and comfortable as he could on the outside until sunrise the next morning. When this old custom passed into disuse, the city gradually outgrew the old limits and new sections began to appear outside the old walls. When I first visited Homs, there was already a large settlement on the north side of the old city, known as the Hamidye, in honor of the reigning sovereign Abdul Hamid. In this section of the city were a number of evangelicals, and it was most desirable that there should be regular services in that section. Much difficulty was found in renting suitable quarters, and a change was necessary every year or two. At length, one of the most prosperous men in the church decided that the permanent chapel must be secured. The people in that part of the city were poor and could not raise money to buy property. He decided to set aside a certain sum and let it accumulate in his own business until he should have sufficient for the purpose. He did so, and after some years was able to purchase and remodel a house in the Hamidie. That little chapel has been in constant use now for many years for public service on the Sabbath and school during the week, and is all the result of the generous thought of this one man. Early in the present century, a zealous young man became the acting pastor of the Homs Church. He was constantly seeking for means to strengthen the position of the evangelical church in the community, and was soon convinced of the importance of improving the schools, so as to make them more effective and more attractive. He urged the church forward in support of his plans and raised the standard of work in the schools. He himself was an indefatigable worker and inspired others with the spirit of service. He gained the confidence of the men referred to above and secured his help financially when needed. At length, it seemed to his pastor that all their efforts would be in vain unless he could establish a boarding school for boys. It was not possible for the mission to help in these plans at that time, and our earnest friend decided to push ahead alone. A bequest was made to the evangelical church in Homs by one of her members who died in Egypt. This was a nucleus, and others were induced to contribute larger and smaller sums. A beginning was made in temporary quarters in the city itself, while a fine site was purchased outside for the permanent building. The school was popular from the start, and, considering the cramped and unsuitable quarters in which it was conducted, did admirable work. Syrians in Egypt and America responded well to the appeal to their patriotism. A plain but commodious building was erected on the new site, and the school was moved to its new home. The school has about four or five acres of land, lying higher than any other plot near the city. 
This tract is enclosed by a simple wall. Within is the two-story stone school building with accommodation for something over a hundred boarders and a schoolroom which might accommodate nearly twice that number. The kitchen and dining room are in a simpler building adjacent. Thus has been provided a convenient, healthful home for the school, with ample playground and suitable surroundings. A Christian community which shows the strength and ability to organize and conduct such enterprises as these has certainly a degree of vitality which gives us every confidence in its growth and advance in the future. One of the greatest misfortunes, as it appears to me, in the situation of the subject races in Turkey, is their inability to appreciate the value and meaning of the word loyalty. I have failed to find an Arabic word in common use which conveys the fullness of what we mean by that word loyalty, and it seems to be because the people have had no occasion to express the idea. It is an inestimable loss to a people to live in such conditions, for there is an inevitable reaction upon character and a blighting effect on all the relations of life. This condition of things has grown rapidly in recent years, and most evidently during the reverses of the Balkan War. It is an everyday experience in passing along the street to hear people exclaiming against the oppression and injustice of Turkish rule with the expression, anything would be better than the present condition. Nor are such expressions any more frequent from Christians than from Muslims. A member of one of the leading Mohammedan families was recently quoted to me as saying, we want an end of this business. We want the English to come and take charge of us. One day, as a merchant was taking a bag of small coins from his safe to make a payment, he was warned not to accumulate any large amount of these small coins, as they would depreciate in value if anything serious should happen to the Turkish government. With a look of disgust, he said, I would gladly lose them all, and the silver coins too, to be wholly rid of Turkey once for all. On another occasion, a simple carriage driver expressed his views in rough style by saying, Sir... The devil himself would be an improvement on the present state of things. Then, more seriously, he said, We know we are not fitted for self-government, and what we want most of all is England, or, if that is impossible, then France. On a railroad train, there was one other passenger in a compartment with me. While stopping at the station, something occurred to excite my companion to violent abuse of the government. When he paused, I said to him, Sir, how is it that you speak so, although you wear the fez? He turned to me and spoke most earnestly, but with no trace of excitement, saying, Yes, I am a Turk, and I am a Mohammedan, and nevertheless, I have no words strong enough to express my contempt for the Turkish government. All these things are exceedingly sad, for it is an immeasurable loss to a people if they cannot love and respect those whom they must obey. End of chapter 10